This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. The Humanist Report podcast is funded by viewers like you through Patreon and PayPal. To support the show, visit patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member at humanistreport.com. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Humanist Report Podcast. My name is Mike Figueredo, and this is the 119th edition of the program. Today is November 16th, and before we get into the news, I want to take a moment to thank all of our newest Patreon and PayPal contributors. So this week, we want to send shout-outs to Alan Jose Estevez, Anil C.S. Rao, Basil Angelopoulos, Bellart Wright, Brian Scudder, Dana Fairbanks, David A. Hawes, Dennis McCartney, Deno Costi, Ernest Danis, Hoot Hoot Burns, Jennifer Bliss, Kathleen Lowy, Kyle Miller, LB The Realist, Lee Breed, Paul Miller, Steve Armstrong, Steve Gasson, and Taylor Snowden. So thank you so much to all of these kind individuals. If you'd also like to support the Humanist Report, you could visit humanistreport.com slash support or check out patreon.com forward slash humanist report. So on today's episode, we'll talk about a new low for the Republican Party that can be described in two words, Roy Moore. Also, Mitch McConnell told the truth about his party's tax reform plan, and additionally on this episode, on his trip to the Philippines, President Donald Trump decided to not bring up the crimes against humanity that are being carried out by its president, Rodrigo Duterte. I'll also provide you with an update to last week's story about Donna Brazil and discuss how Bill Maher and Joanne Reed are trying to spin Brazil's bombshell. We'll also talk about how DNC Chairman Tom Perez was badgered because he refused to address the revelations in Brazil's book. And also, I'll tell you about what Elizabeth Warren is now saying about the rigged primary process. And finally in this episode, Bernie Sanders tells us what the DNC needs to do in order to reform. So all of these topics will be discussed in today's episode. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Enjoy the show. So last week was an excellent week to be a liberal or a progressive because we had historic victories across the country. So as you all know, Lee Carter, a Democratic Socialist, actually won his race. We had a transgender woman defeat a transphobic bigot who actually proposed anti-trans bathroom bills. That asshole was defeated by someone who he thinks is inferior to him. So just phenomenal results across the country. But there is one more special election that is still taking place in the state of Alabama. And this race is so crazy that it might actually be stranger than fiction. So this race features Doug Jones, who is a milquetoast, boring, neoliberal Democrat, and a Republican named Roy Moore, who is batshit crazy. I mean, this is a fire and brimstone evangelical Republican, and he was the former chief justice of the Alabama Supreme Court. Now, even though he was elected twice, he was also removed twice. And Roy Moore is so insane that he doesn't just believe that marriage equality should be illegal, but he also believes that homosexuality should just be outlawed altogether. So he's literally against freedom. I think it's a yes or no. Do you think that homosexual... Homosexuality or homosexual conduct should be illegal today. That's a yes or no question. Homosexual conduct should be should be illegal. Yes. Should be illegal. Yes. yes. Now, when it comes to why Roy Moore is unfit to serve 
in any office in the country, let alone the Senate. We can go on and on and on all day because this guy is a lunatic. He's undoubtedly unfit to serve. But besides all of those negative aspects we already know about Roy Moore, we also learned recently that he's literally a pedophile. He is a serial sexual assaulter. So when Roy Moore was 32 years old, he was actually the assistant district attorney in Alabama. And one day, outside of a courtroom, there was a mother and a daughter waiting. So this was a custody battle, and this took place in an Etowah County courthouse. Now, since Roy Moore saw the mother and the daughter waiting, the daughter's name was Lee Korfman, he actually offered to watch her so she wouldn't have to hear everything that her parents were saying. Now, as Stephanie McCrumman and Beth Reinhardt of the Washington Post reports, alone with Korfman, Moore chatted with her and asked for her phone number, she says. Days later, she says, he picked her up around the corner from her house in Gadsden drove for about 30 miles to his home in the woods, told her how pretty she was, and kissed her. On a second visit, she says, he took off her shirt and pants and removed his clothes. He touched her over her bra and underpants, she says, and guided her hand to touch him over his underwear. I wanted it over with. I want it out, she remembers thinking. Please, just get it over with. Whatever this is, just get it over. Korfman says she asked Moore to take her home, and he did. Aside from Korfman, three other women interviewed by the Washington Post in recent weeks say Moore pursued them when they were between the ages of 16 and 18. He was in his early 30s episodes they say they found flattering at the time, but troubling as they got older. Now, after these four women came forward and accused him of being a sexual predator, another woman came forward, and her name is Beverly Mason, and she explains how he sexually assaulted her when she was just 16 years old. his car. In between the dumpster and the back of the restaurant, where there were no lights. The area was dark and it was deserted. Oh, I was alarmed and I immediately asked him what he was doing. Instead of answering my questions, Mr. Moore reached over and began groping me and putting his hands on my breast. I tried to open my car door to leave, but he reached over and he locked it so I could not get out. I tried fighting him off while yelling at him to stop. But instead of stopping, he began squeezing my neck, attempting to force my head onto his crotch. I continued to struggle. I was determined that I was not going to allow him to force me to have sex with him. <coughs> I was terrified. He was also trying to pull my shirt off. I thought that he was going to rape me. I was twisting and I was struggling and I was begging him to stop. Now, listening to her explain that story was just downright disturbing. I can't even imagine how terrified she must have been. I mean, he's sick. He, he's a monster. Who would do that? Now, when confronted with these allegations, he claims that this couldn't have happened because he doesn't even know who Beverly Nelson is. 
Except the problem is that she actually showed us that she was actually in contact with Moore because he signed her yearbook at the time. And look at that. It seems to be the exact same signature he still uses. So in other words, he's obviously lying. Now, keep in mind that the stories from these five girls... Well, these are just the stories of girls that were close with him, that were in contact with him, but he actually literally sought out relationships with underage girls pretty frequently. He would show up at malls and prey on them so much that he actually got banned from a mall. So according to Justin Barragona of Mediaite, in a news story by The New Yorker, a number of local sources told reporter Charles Bethia that Moore was banned from that mall for constantly pestering teenaged girls. Bethia also spoke with two law enforcement officers about the rumored mall ban. One of the officers, both asked to remain unnamed, noted that the general knowledge at the time when I moved here was that this guy is a lawyer cruising the mall for high school dates. It was also stated that Moore had been run off from several stores because he wouldn't leave girls alone so this guy is a pedophile he was seeking out relationships with underage girls at malls i mean the ages of these girls now one of the girls here the first four that came out she was 14 when he initially contacted her and then took her on a date when she was 16 so i mean he he was waiting he knew he wanted to be in a relationship with her and pursue her so this guy is a pedophile he's a creep now to show you just how bad of a person Roy Moore is, as spineless and corrupt as the Republican Party is, well, Roy Moore is even too crazy for them. Because House Speaker Paul Ryan actually called on him to end his campaign, saying that these allegations are credible. Also, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he believes the women and doesn't believe that Roy Moore is even fit to serve in the U.S. Senate. And if he wins, Mitch McConnell is not ruling out expulsion. In fact, Mitch McConnell even met with Trump to figure out how to deal with this lunatic who might actually win, who's arguably more insane than Donald Trump by several measures. Now, additionally, a substantial portion of the Republican Party has essentially come out against him. But that doesn't mean that all Republicans are coming out against against Roy Moore, because obviously, you know, if they have one less Republican in the Senate, that doesn't necessarily bode too well for their legislative agenda. Now, again, you've got to be a gigantic piece of shit if the corrupt Republican Party is willing to jeopardize their ability, their ability to deliver huge tax breaks to their largest donors, because with Roy Moore, obviously, he would be a vote in their favor. But they are... They think that he's so loathsome that they're not even willing to allow him to win. They're actually talking about expulsion, but that's not all because some prominent pastors in Alabama have actually turned on him as well, primarily because he claimed to have their endorsements when that wasn't actually the case. And this was actually because he re-released former endorsements years ago prior to the sexual assault allegations resurfacing. So obviously, they don't approve of that. Now, finally, this is actually starting to hurt him politically because his Democratic opponent, Doug Jones, is now actually four points ahead of him in at least one poll, according to JMC Analytics and Polling. But his reputation isn't necessarily damaged among all demographics because according to that same poll, it actually found that evangelical voters, which just so happen to be his core base and also the group of people that should theoretically be against sexual deviancy the most, well, they actually seem to like him more now 
after learning that he's a pedophile because that same JMC poll found that 37% of evangelicals said the sexual assault allegations against Roy Moore made them more likely to vote for Roy Moore, whereas 34% said the allegations made no difference and only 28% said sexual assault allegations made them less likely to vote for him. So I'm going to say that again. 37% of evangelicals said that after hearing about these sexual assault allegations, they're now more likely to vote for Roy Moore. So after hearing the story that we all just heard from Korfman and Beverly Nelson, they thought, oh, now that I'm hearing this, I like him even more. What is wrong with people? To be ambivalent about these sexual assault allegations is one thing, but to actually have this increase your perception of Roy Moore in a positive direction, that's lunacy. Something is wrong here. These people are insane. Now, if you're wondering how it's the case that people don't really seem to care that much about these allegations, we do have a case study. So there is one Alabama journalist named Brandon Mosley, and he still supports Roy Moore even after finding out that he's literally a pedophile. Watch this interview and try not to go crazy because it is it, it is madness. If Roy Moore committed a sin, that's a sin and that's not good. But we're not talking about an actual crime here under that's prosecutable in 2017. I don't think you throw out 35 years of a man's career and his reputation because of unsubstantiated allegation from 1979. Brandon, she was, she, was, way. she was 14 years of age, and, and I don't know how much digging you did or didn't do into the law in 1979, but we did, and we found uh, Section 13A, 667, we found that this was on the books going back to 77 and would have been considered sexual abuse in the second degree. Care to respond? Which is a misdemeanor in Alabama. Does that make it okay? If I'm correct. Yes. No. Um, but again, if you know Roy Moore has stolen a lawnmower when he was 21, that's bad. But that's not a reason 50 years later to all of a sudden, you know, uh, uh, throw him off the ballot or let Mitch McConnell pick the next senator of Alabama. Sexual abuse. Stealing a lawnmower, let's not even go there. Oh, but he did just go there. He literally compared sexual assaulting multiple underage girls to stealing a lawnmower. That is the level of delusion that is fueling Roy Moore's support base. But of course, you know, that's just one reporter. He has to be an outlier, right? Of course, somebody from the Alabama Republican Party, they're going to come out and denounce him, right? Well, actually, here's what the former chair had to say about Roy Moore. I know you're skeptical uh, of these charges from these four <laughs> women. Why? Yeah. Why are you skeptical? Well, 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 first of all, I want to state something very important. I'm a father of a daughter. I take these things very, very seriously, as does the people of Alabama and, frankly, the rest of the United States. But don't you, I mean, you're, you're the journalist, mm -hmm. don't you find it mildly, just mildly curious that this would be coming out uh, within a month of a 
big election where the Senate is on the line, where tax reform is on the line, where Obamacare is on the line. I mean, it's, it's kind of timely, don't you think? Well, uh, the election is coming up, but I would also observe that in the last month or two, we have seen a lot of famous men, uh, left, right, and center, uh, have uh, their past actions dating back deca decades um, come under scrutiny, whether Harvey Weinstein sure. uh, or Bill sure, O'Reilly, Louis C.K. And when, you, when the women are interviewed, they often say uh, that they were inspired by, this, by other women coming forward. Also, just uh, having now covered a few of these stories, I know that it takes a, a while in many cases for women who uh, have horrible incidents like this, allegedly, uh, in their past to, to get the courage to come forward. No, that, make, that makes sense, and I understand that, but I would counter what you're saying with this simple fact. Roy Moore has run multiple times in the state of Alabama, governor, uh, state Supreme Court chief, uh, U.S. Senate, just finished a very aggressive U.S. Senate race. Millions of dollars of opposition research against Judge Moore. Where was it ever found? Why is it showing up now? Jake Tapper just told you. <laughs> I mean, this is insane. So that was actually the former chair of the Alabama Republican Party, Marty Connors. And in spite of the mountain of evidence proving that Roy Moore is a pedophile, he still chooses to deny reality. Even though that is still surprising, this really is a go-to Republican tactic because this is what they do, for example, when you see protesters who are protesting the Republican Party's desire to defund Planned Parenthood. They'll automatically say, oh, well, these are just paid protesters and people don't really care. And the same thing really is being said about Roy Moore's accusers here. In fact, his wife literally stated that she is currently gathering evidence to show that these women are actually just being paid to say these things about Roy Moore. So if you don't believe his accusers in spite of all the evidence, I, I don't know what to say. So obviously Roy Moore, this goes without saying, he absolutely cannot win because Congress is already filled with corrupt criminals and warmongers. We don't need to add a pedophile to the list of criminals that already exist in Washington, D.C. I think that we have to have some standard in U.S. politics. We already allowed a reality TV show star to become the president. Can we at least draw the line at pedophiles? Can we at least do that? Is there any sanity left in this country to where we can say, I don't approve of a pedophile? Do we have standards anymore? He is an objectively bad human being by any sane thinking person's standards. So if he wins, then my faith in humanity <laughs> is it's good to, it, it's not going to be good, right? <laughs> because, the, I mean, to vote for someone, look, Here's the thing, if, if you put Bernie Sanders up against Donald Trump and told me that Bernie Sanders was a pedophile, I wouldn't vote for him. Even though I care more about policy than anything else, we still have to have standards. We, If somebody is that despicable of a human being to where they would sexually assault children, then needless to say, we shouldn't trust them politically. So even if you may agree with Roy Moore on the policy substance... You have to draw the line. We have to have standards, people. This is not acceptable. He's a pedophile. He has to lose. As the Republican Party vociferously pushes for their tax reform bill that would give trillions in cuts to the richest Americans in the country, 
namely their donors, they're trying to pass this off as a bill that would disproportionately benefit the middle class. Now, most people who are sane, rational thinking individuals know that this is complete horseshit, because even though it is the case that Republicans will be trying to double the standard deduction if this bill is passed, they're still going to have to find a way to make up the revenue that the federal government will be losing, and they'll most likely have to do this by cutting programs that do, in fact, help out the middle and lower classes. So they'll have to cut Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, and most likely, they'll even have to raise taxes on the middle class in order to fund tax breaks for their billionaire donors. So, I mean, really, this is a bill that nobody should support unless they are a multimillionaire. People like Stephen Klubeck, people like Paul Singer. People like uh, Bob Mercer, the Koch brothers, uh, George Soros. This will benefit those types of individuals, not the overwhelming majority of the American people. But yet, they're trying to tell us that this is a bill that we all should care about because they're going to double our standard deduction. Right, well, we're going to be losing more in the long run if you end up cutting Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Now, thankfully, some people within Trump's administration, as he pushes for this bill, have actually been truthful. For example, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin admitted that repealing the estate tax would, in fact, help rich people the most. And Trump's National Economic Council director and former president of Goldman Sachs, Gary Cohn, also admitted, quote, the most excited group out there are big CEOs about our tax plan. You don't say. <laughs> now, anytime progressives like myself talk about Medicare for all, tuition-free public colleges and universities, what's the first question that we're always asked? How are you going to pay for all these things? Well, when you asked Republicans the same question, how they're going to pay for trillions of dollars in tax cuts to the richest Americans in the country without raising taxes on the middle class, Mitch McConnell insisted that they won't be raising taxes on the middle class, saying nobody in the middle class is going to get a tax increase. So Mitch McConnell said this knowing that you really can't get the American people to approve of something like this unless you just flat-out lie to them. Now, Sophie Tatum of CNN Explains, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said Friday that he, quote, misspoke when he had previously said nobody in the middle class would get a tax increase under the new GOP plan, according to the New York Times. So Mitch McConnell is now saying you can't guarantee that absolutely no one sees a tax increase. But what we are doing is targeting levels of income and looking at the average in those levels, and the average will be tax relief for the average taxpayer in each of those segments. So at first, he guaranteed that they wouldn't raise taxes on the middle class, and now he's saying that they can't guarantee that after all. So what probably happened was he brazenly lied to the American people, and then after the tax plan was released, people looked through it and then called him out on his bullshit, and that forced him to actually tell the truth. That, yeah, you can't guarantee that taxes won't be raised on the middle class. So which is it, Mitch? They will do and say anything to pass this egregious bill because they promised their donors that they would do this, that they would get this done, and their donors want this done so bad that they are literally threatening to cut off funding from the party if they don't get this done. So if Mitch McConnell has to lie, then he's going to do that, and he doesn't feel bad about it. I doubt he'd even lose a minute of sleep over this because he's just a bad person in general, which is why he's the least popular politician in the country. But if all that wasn't bad enough, Republicans just decided to make their already undesirable tax reform plan exponentially worse 
for the American people. So according to Mike DeBonis and Damian Paletta of the Washington Post, they report Senate Republican leaders said Tuesday that they would seek a repeal of the Affordable Care Act's individual mandate through their tax bill, a major change of strategy as they try to accomplish two of their top domestic priorities in a single piece of legislation. The CBO has also projected that repealing the individual mandate would drive up insurance premiums for many Americans by roughly 10%. So not only do they want to raise your taxes, they also want to drive up the cost of your monthly health insurance premiums by 10%, all at the behest of their largest donors. This party is not there to look out for you. They are there to do the bidding of large multinational corporations and the billionaire class. To even come out and have to say this offends me. I shouldn't have to say this. This should be obvious to every single American in the country, but yet they still win elections. They still are in control of every single branch of government. They can pass any legislation and the president can sign that legislation, and even if it's unconstitutional, they have a Supreme Court that can find a way to make it align with the Constitution. They have all the power in the world right now when they are brazenly and shamelessly trying to rig the system even more against the working class and the middle class. This is a party that has to go extinct. The Republican Party has to collapse, and the Democratic Party has got to become the new de facto Republican Party. Because I think that, you know, they're already where moderate Republicans were a couple of decades ago. And we need a truly progressive party because this is unacceptable. For a party to just lie to their voters' faces in, in this way, in a manner that's just shameless, and then claim that um, he conveniently misspoke. I, I mean, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> this party is a joke. They don't care about you. They only care about the rich. They care about cutting their own taxes and their friends' taxes. President Donald Trump recently visited the Philippines, and those of us who care about human rights were hoping that maybe he would confront their president, Rodrigo Duterte, about the ongoing slaughter of his own civilians, all in the name of the war on drugs. Now, this is an individual who is a monster, who is killing his own people. These are extrajudicial killings, and this has been happening for a long time now. So, as the president of the United States, Donald Trump, in confronting him about this, could shine a lot of light on this issue and potentially influence him to stop doing this. However, did Donald Trump confront Rodrigo Duterte? Nope. And it seems as though the reason why this is the case is because Duterte made Donald Trump feel like a princess. His Excellency, Donald Trump, President of the United States of America. So Donald Trump was greeted with this really warm welcome. He was given the red carpet treatment, and since he has a really large ego and he's narcissistic, well, he decided to then turn a blind eye to Duterte's crimes against his own people, crimes against humanity. All because, presumably, he thought that um, their president was nice. Now, I'm not just saying this to be 
a dick to Donald Trump. I mean, we have reason to believe that Donald Trump didn't confront him about this because he felt really special. So according to Robert Mackey of The Intercept, he reports in Rodrigo Duterte's Philippines, the extrajudicial killing of suspected drug users and dealers gunned down by police officers or death squads with bystanders as young as four years old caught in the crossfire has become a part of daily life with a death toll running into the thousands in the 16 months that he was sworn in as president. Duterte's appalling human rights record, however, is apparently not a subject of much concern to President Donald Trump, who met with the Philippine leader in Manila on Monday on the sidelines of an Association of Southeast Asian Nations Summit. Human rights briefly came up, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the White House press secretary, told reporters after the two leaders met for 40 minutes. That claim was quickly contradicted by Duterte's spokesperson, Harry Roque. There was no mention of human rights. There was no mention of extra-legal killings, Roque said. There was only a rather lengthy discussion of the Philippine war on drugs, with President Duterte doing most of the explaining. The U.S. president did not comment on the war against drugs, Roque added. There were instances when he was nodding his head as the Philippine president was explaining. Trump's failure to criticize the widespread executions in the Philippines was not a surprise, given that a leaked transcript of a phone call between the two men in April showed that the American president said that he was calling his counterpart to congratulate you because I am hearing of the unbelievable job on the drug problem. For his part, Trump gushed to reporters that his visit to the Philippines was a personal triumph, pointing to the warm welcome from Duterte as proof that he had single-handedly restored American prestige in the region. Still basking in the glow of the reception at the ASEAN Gala Dinner in Manila on Sunday, where he wore a barong Tagalog, an embroidered shirt worn at formal events in the Philippines, and was greeted on a red carpet by Duterte, with whom he later shared a toast, Trump told the traveling press that the welcome was red carpet carpet-like, I think probably nobody has ever received. So when Donald Trump told him that he was doing an excellent job or that he heard about the excellent job he was doing, at that point, we could just probably brush that off as him being ignorant, which we really shouldn't give him a pass for because he's the president. But the reason why seemingly he didn't confront him about this is because, well, he felt as though Duterte really liked him and respected him and gave him the red carpet treatment. So why would you bring up something that's, you know, water under the bridge? I mean, that's what it seems like, right? But I mean, Donald Trump is foolish because unbeknownst to him, Barack Obama and George W. Bush were both given the same type of welcome. And in not bringing up Duterte's crimes against his own people, what Trump is probably thinking that he's doing and trying to pat himself on the back and toot his own horn, he's trying to say, you know, I am repairing this relationship with the Philippines that Barack Obama strained. I mean, he's actually implied this on numerous occasions. Case in point. The visit will take us to Japan, South Korea, China, Vietnam, the Philippines. You remember the Philippines, the last trip made by a president that turned out to be not so good, never quite got to land. Going to Vietnam, we're going to the Philippines which is a strategically important location where the previous administration was not exactly welcome, as you probably remember. Now, Trump is 100% wrong here. Obama, in my opinion, is not to blame for this strained relationship between the United States and the Philippines. The reason why Duterte didn't like Obama is because Obama, unlike Trump, did not give him a pass on his crimes against humanity. And in fact, this is how Duterte referred to Obama. Um, he said Obama was so black and arrogant, this is a quote from him, and he told Obama to go to hell. 
But since Donald Trump and Duterte both had hatred of Obama in common, they were actually able to bond over this, literally. So Donald Trump decided, you know, since he's treating me so well, since we both hate Barack Obama, why would I bring up the fact that he's killed thousands of his people arbitrarily and immorally? It's unbelievable. You're the president. How could you not confront him when he's killing his own people? Now, I'm not saying that Obama was perfect in this situation, and I'm not saying that Obama, you know, denounced all criminals, anyone who's committing crimes against their own people. I thought that he should have spoken out a lot louder against the ongoing genocide in Myanmar against the Rohingya. I think Obama was too nice to Duterte. And look, in saying that I want Donald Trump to confront Duterte about killing his own people. I'm not saying that the U.S. itself isn't guilty of committing war crimes, nor am I saying that I want Donald Trump to invade the Philippines and overthrow Duterte. All that I'm saying here is that as president of the United States, you have a lot of influence, and if you shine a spotlight on Duterte's crimes against his own people, maybe, just maybe, that might influence him to stop. But you inadvertently just gave him the green light to do even more extrajudicial killings. Now, would Donald Trump realistically be able to influence Duterte to stop killing his own people? Probably not, because Obama couldn't convince him to stop doing that. But the fact that you wouldn't even bring this up, that's a problem, because now he's going to think that since you're turning a blind eye to it, he could do it even more. And he's going to consolidate power even more and kill even more people, all in the name of this stupid drug war. So, this is unacceptable. And you know what's strange to me is that Duterte gets a pass from Donald Trump when he kills his own people, but when Bashar al-Assad kills his own people in Syria, Donald Trump bombs him. So if you're going to claim to care about human rights and authoritarian leaders killing their own people, then you have to be consistent. You can't pick and choose who you're going to hold accountable because that dictator might hate Obama also or make you feel special and give you the warm fuzzies and make you feel like a princess. I mean, you can't give him a pass for this. So the fact that Donald Trump gave Duterte a pass, it just shows that he's not a true leader. He's not. I know for a fact that Donald Trump had to have been briefed. We can't just chalk this up to ignorance. And even if he was ignorant, he doesn't get a pass for that. You're the president now, Trump. But the fact that he gave him a pass is unforgivable. It shows what a piece of shit Donald Trump is. To turn a blind eye to something so egregious happening in the Philippines, it's unacceptable. So last week, a lot of us rightfully thought that Elizabeth Warren saw the light, and maybe she now wanted to reconnect with the progressive she alienated in 2016 after learning how the primary was rigged against Bernie Sanders. I mean, once Donna Brazile released that excerpt from her book and gave us undeniable proof that Hillary Clinton was in full control of the DNC, public officials like Elizabeth Warren could no longer deny reality. And that reality was that the primary was rigged. And I gave Elizabeth Warren credit for admitting that. Very quickly, Senator, do you agree with the notion that it was rigged? Yes. Do you think, though, that what we're learning from Donna Brazile's book suggests that the campaign, that what the Democratic National Committee did, meant this election was rigged? Yeah, I think it was. It's a pretty powerful charge. Well, what we have to focus on now as Democrats is we recognize the process was rigged, and now it is up to Democrats to build a new process, a process that really works 
and works for everyone. And that as we go forward, we have confidence in the integrity of this system that Democrats, as they run a primary, are going to let the people speak and that we're going to have a candidate who's the candidate chosen by the people. That's our job. Now, that was really important because Elizabeth Warren is someone who is kind of this bridge between the progressive wing of the Democratic Party and the establishment. So if she says something, then that claim is going to have more credibility because of her legitimacy. So once Elizabeth Warren admitted, yes, the primary was rigged, then we saw people talking about it everywhere. We saw, you know, the hosts on The View say it was rigged. We saw, you know, um, reporters asking other Democrats, do you agree with Elizabeth Warren that it was rigged? So what she said was really important. But after trying to seemingly win back our trust by just stating the obvious that the primary was rigged, she's now backtracking. So Olivia Beavers of The Hill reports Senator Elizabeth Warren in a new interview appeared to walk back her claim that last year's Democratic primary was rigged, suggesting instead that the Democratic National Committee showed some bias, but that the selection process had been fair. I agree with what Donna Brazil has said over the last few days, that while there was some bias at the DNC, the overall 2016 primary process was fair and Hillary made history, Warren said in a Wednesday interview with Mass Live. So for one candidate to take full control of the most important divisions of the DNC, an organization that is supposed to be neutral during a primary process, you'd call that some bias? You would call the scheduling of debates during huge sporting events, during the weekend before Christmas, some bias. You'd call superdelegates some bias, Elizabeth. So at this point, I think that Elizabeth Warren, you know, in denying this, she has permanently lost her credibility among progressives. I mean, in trying to recultivate that trust, that relationship that she that she lost with us. I don't know if she can return after this. I, I just don't. And it's not because I'm angry that she's no longer using the term rigged. It's because she's denying reality now. She is willing to ignore facts in order to do the bidding of the establishment. Because we all know what probably happened. She, uh, you know, she was on CNN. She said it was rigged. And then she probably was talked to by Democratic Party leaders, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi. And they said, you, you can't be saying things like this, Elizabeth Warren. And she thought, okay, I, I guess I, I'll tow the party line. Well, look, one thing that's more important than towing the party line, Elizabeth, is actually saying what's true and being factual about what's undeniable at this point. The primary was rigged. Now, to be fair, Bernie Sanders also refuses to use the word rigged. And I don't necessarily care about the language that they use. I think some bias is a cop-out. But Bernie Sanders at least admits that there was certainly a lot of fuckery going on. And he recently stated, look, Donna Brazil showed an enormous amount of courage in describing the truth as she saw it when she came into the leadership of the DNC, Sanders told CNN's Anderson Cooper 360. I don't think there's any sane human being who doesn't believe that my campaign was taking on the entire establishment, including the DNC. But he he concludes by saying, Anderson, to be very honest with you, my job, our job, is to go forward, is to do everything we can to defeat this right-wing agenda of the Republican Party in the Trump administration, not to look backwards. So in a roundabout way, Bernie Sanders is saying it's rigged, but he's still tap dancing around that specific word rigged. And look, 
Let's be real. I get it. Both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren probably want to run for president in 2020, and they don't want to piss off too many Hillary Clinton supporters. The problem is that facts are facts. If Hillary Clinton supporters got outraged at the fact that the earth is not flat, then that's too bad. Facts are facts. We cannot deny reality to appease Hillary Clinton supporters. If the primary was rigged, like a mountain of evidence now shows, then we need to call a spade a spade. Just say it was rigged. But they don't want to do that. And this is the spinelessness that I am seeing now in Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren that I despise in corporate Democrats. And look, I've said it was rigged a thousand times on this show, but you don't even have to take my word for it because everyone else who was not just running against Hillary, but also Bernie saw it. They see what we all see. So as early as August of 2015, Martin O'Malley accused the DNC of rigging the primary process in Hillary Clinton's favor. And also Lincoln Chafee, someone that probably just five of you will remember, if he's lucky, <laughs> he also accused... Hillary Clinton of rigging the primary. Three cheers for Donna Brazil. I like a truth teller. I just thought the fix was in uh, right all the way through. Now, Martin O'Malley and Lincoln Chafee just simply saying that it was rigged. I think that, you know, that's important. But the most glaring example of how the DNC was rigging the process came from a lesser known candidate who actually did run in the Democratic primary named Lawrence Lessig. And... The DNC was so hell-bent on shutting him out that they literally changed the rules and they made it impossible for him to win. Now, from the start, it was clear that getting into the Democratic debates was the essential step in this campaign. I may be known in tiny corners of the tubes of the internets, but I am not well known to the American public generally. Our only chance to make this issue central to the 2016 presidential election was to be in those debates. But last week, we learned that the Democratic Party has changed its rules for inclusion in the debate. And under the new rule, unless we can time travel, there is no way that I will qualify. Until this week, the rule was three polls finding me at 1% in the six weeks prior to the debate. Last week, we began to get close. Two polls found me at 1%, one more, and I would be in the second debate, under the original rule. But under the new rule, the standard is three polls at least six weeks before the debate. That means I would have had to have qualified at the beginning of October, which means that nothing that happens now could matter. Under this new rule, I am just shut out. Now, let me remind you that Lawrence Lessig was running as a referendum candidate. I thought that the idea was unusual and it was quite frankly unorthodox. Basically, he said that he would run to get money out of politics and once he fulfilled this role, he would step down and allow his vice president to be the new president. He was just running to get money out of politics. That's it. So I don't like that aspect. I wish he just would have launched a full-fledged campaign. But him being shut out really early in the process is important because it tells us that the DNC did not want to hear from him. Do you think they wanted someone running in their primary that talked about how corrupt both parties are? Of course not. So what do they do? They changed the rules to shut him out of the process. That is how corrupt the DNC is as an organization. So to hear from all these candidates and, you know, to see this mountain of evidence, not just with Donna Brazil's revelations, but with the WikiLeaks, with, with everything that was obvious before we got this insider info from the DNC emails and John Podesta's emails, from Donna Brazil's book, 
It was clear that the DNC rigged the primary in favor of Hillary Clinton, and to deny that at this point, you're not just uninformed, you're not, you're not just ignorant, you're a liar. So look, I've been wrong about Elizabeth Warren before, but it seems like I was wrong about her yet again. Elizabeth Warren is now a liar, just like all other politicians, and even though, you know, politically, policy-wise, she's preferable than the vast majority of the Democratic Party, the fact that she would still lie to us in spite of all this evidence, I think it this shows a lot about who Elizabeth Warren really is, and it tells us a lot about her character. She doesn't care about democracy. She doesn't care about the policies that she's been advocating for for her career. I mean, if she, if she did, she would have endorsed Bernie Sanders over Hillary Clinton, and she is willing to fall in line anytime the establishment calls on her to do so, and she no longer cares about the truth. And that is incredibly disappointing because Elizabeth Warren, she was one of the few allies we had in the Senate. And she just, <laughs> I don't think she's going to be able to repair this trust that she lost with progressives. I mean, th this, this may be the last straw. Tom Perez appeared on Fox Business News and was interviewed by Maria Bartiromo. And she held him accountable in a way that no other pundit has since he became the DNC chairman. Now, I do want to preface this interview that I'm about to show you by saying that even though it appears as though Maria is a good journalist and cares about democracy, that's not actually the case. She's actually, arguably, one of the worst pundits in the country, and all she does is propaganda at the behest of the Republican Party, which is obvious because she works for Fox News. Now, she is completely wrong on the policy substance and in calling out Tom Perez for refusing to acknowledge that the DNC did, in fact, rig the primary against Bernie Sanders. Well, I mean, she's not doing this because she cares about democracy, but instead because she wants to help Republicans by demonizing Democrats. And this is just one of many ways that she's able to do that. And let's be honest, she would probably never hold a Republican to the same standard as she held Tom Perez to in this interview that you're about to see. And I've actually talked about Maria Bartiromo's bias before when she interviewed Jill Stein. And all I have to do is show you a fraction of a clip and that will tell you all you need to know about just how biased Maria Bartiromo actually is. So that sounds great, you know, helping millennials, getting out of debt in terms of uh, their college uh, debt. But how do you pay for that? So you get the point. She is not badgering Tom Perez for altruistic reasons or because she cares about small d democracy she has an agenda and her agenda is always to demonize the democratic party in order to make republicans look good but with that being said this was a really enjoyable clip to watch because as you all know i've covered the segments tom perez refuses to answer questions the minute he faces even the most minimal level of scrutiny or pushback from a journalist, he always dodges the question by uh, pivoting to platitudes, and it is incredibly frustrating. But she was not allowing him to dodge the question. She tried to get a straight answer out of him, uh, and it was honestly really great to watch, so enjoy. Let me ask you this. If the Where? Democratic National Committee and Debbie Wasserman Schultz had been neutral, let's say they were neutral and they weren't in the tank for Hillary, would Bernie Sanders have gotten the nomination? And perhaps hey. would he be president today? What do you think? Hillary Clinton won the Democratic primary by 4 million votes. She won the popular election rigged. by over now 3 million votes. Now we know it was rigged. Votes. But Tom, Maria, now we know it was rigged. Maria, 
Maria, I understand that when the Democrats win, as they did across the board last night, that you'd like to focus on other things. I think the most important question that your listeners want to know is how is it that the Donald Trump that you're touting uh, kind of got their clocks cleaned last night? And, and that's because they are taking away health care from people. They're dividing our communities. We need healers. Maria, I understand that you want to focus on other things now, but allow me to shift the focus away from the DNC's corruption and onto other things myself. I mean, Tom Perez doesn't even realize how big of a hypocrite he is. But with that being said, the, the interview went on and she continued to press him on this subject and she would not allow him to squirm out of the corner he was backed into. Have you spoken to Bernie Sanders? Have you spoken to Bernie Sanders? Maria, I have been out on the stump campaigning for people. I've been focused on the future. I was helping Don't Democrats you think win you owe in him Virginia. A phone call? Does somebody no. owe Bernie Sanders a phone call since yeah. now we know what took place and everything was rigged and you were behind Hillary okay. Clinton when in fact he actually could have fairly gotten the nomination and didn't? You haven't spoken to him since Donna Brazil's comments? You know, Maria, we're all focused on winning elections. We're focused on the right. future so here. Bernie, I've had so many Bernie conversations Sanders. in Unfortunately, the past. Bernie Sanders' hopes uh, were dashed because it was well, rigged. So you haven't spoken to well, Bernie Maria, Sanders, okay? Maria, and you don't travel, think you don't Maria, think? I don't know if this is a lecture or a Q and A. You tell me. I thought this was supposed to be. Uh, a back and forth, but maybe it's not. No, it is. It is. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'm, not, I'm trying I'm not to ask you a question, right but now, you're not Maria. answering the question. Do I, I, you I think Bernie Sanders question, would have gotten the nomination? Would Bernie Sanders have gotten the nomination if Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the DNC were neutral? Again, That's it. Hillary, That's the question. Maria, states run primary elections. The Democratic Party and the Republican Party do not run primary elections. Hillary Clinton won the Democratic primary by 4 million votes. She won the popular vote by 3 million votes. You know, After I took over the DNC, I, I traveled for a week with Senator Sanders. And are you Sanders cleaning it up? Because the, we the are question is, working are, look, to make you were sure. You were a fantastic Labor Secretary. Could, you and I used to talk all I, the time about I, the job story. And, yeah, I and you didn't interrupt me as much then as you do now, I assume you would get in there. I don't know why. I assumed you would get in there and try to clean it up. So as you can see there, Tom Perez cycled through his usual talking points. Hillary Clinton won 4 million more votes. Uh, the DNC couldn't possibly have rigged the primary because states run primaries. You know, yada, yada, yada. The same things that he always says, the same platitudes that he always espouses. And she would not allow him to get away with the question, with, with just avoiding the question that she asked. Now, she also came off as really unlikable in that particular clip because she was so disingenuous. She claimed to, or she was trying to insinuate at least, that she cared about Bernie Sanders, but she doesn't give a damn about Bernie Sanders. In fact, she was probably happy that the DNC rigged the primary against him because she's a Donald Trump supporter, and we all know that Bernie Sanders would have beat Donald Trump. But with that being said, Tom Perez was also incredibly irritating and unlikable in this clip because he was complaining about how she was interrupting him constantly but she was interrupting you tom because you wouldn't give her a straight answer so she was right to interrupt you that's what journalists should be doing uh and not just to democrats but the republicans as well if you're not going to give them a straight answer then i think that journalists should do their job and call you out and try to force you to tell them the truth about something but even though they were both unlikable and just irritated me 
She did ask him a really important question in this next clip. All we want to know is if the DNC is going to continue to be rigged. You had great elections <laughs> last night. You had victories. People want to know, can they trust the DNC anymore? We know what happened with Hillary and Bernie. You haven't even spoken to Bernie Sanders since all of that went against him and the entire party rigged the election against him. I mean, so people just want to know, can I trust you anymore? Maria, the voters yesterday in Virginia, the voters yesterday in New Jersey, the voters across this country said, you know what, the Democratic Party has a vision that I embrace. It's a vision of inclusion what and opportunity. What is the vision, Tom? Tom, and what's the vision? Because I haven't heard a vision. Your party has been hijacked by the extreme left, Barack okay. Obama, Elizabeth Warren. Come on, what's the vision, Tom? Uh, the vision... Maria, is a vision of an America in which people have access to health care as a right for all and not a privilege for like a few. A vision, a vision in which like everybody in every zip code can get quality education. A vision in which good jobs are available everywhere. A vision in which we don't do tax bills that are just giveaways for people who already have enough. So as you can see, Tom Perez still didn't answer the question, and then Maria went off the rails when she referred to Barack Obama as the extreme left. I mean, <laughs> I don't think I've ever been as conflicted about a clip as I have been here, because on one hand, I, I definitely need to see more of this. Tom Perez has got to be held accountable since he is the DNC chairman, but you see this obviously biased host of Fox News, who doesn't really care about Bernie Sanders. She doesn't care about small d democracy. She's doing this to make the Democratic Party look bad, and they should look bad, but I mean, she has an agenda, and she wants to make the Republican Party look good, which they should also look bad. So I'll go ahead and post the link to the full interview below, because it was a lot longer. However, there was a lot of tangents that they both went on, so I just wanted to show you the part where they talked about the rigged primary. But really, even though I'm glad that Tom Perez was called out, I'm still frustrated because the only time we see this level of scrutiny on politicians is if one member of a party goes on the opposing party's propaganda wing. So if a Republican goes on MSNBC, you'll see them being held accountable at this level. If a Democrat goes on Fox News, you'll see them being accountable like Tom Perez was here. But we need a media that doesn't play favorites. So I mean, in showing you this clip, I want to stress that I'm not trying to glorify Fox News's bias here, but I do want public officials to be held accountable, even if a pundit is doing it for all the wrong reasons and doesn't actually give a damn about Bernie Sanders or democracy. But even if she continuously espoused bullshit right-wing talking points, I still think that what she did here was important because, I mean, we've got to get a straight answer out of Tom Perez. He is the new DNC chairman tasked with restoring the credibility of this corrupt organization and he if anything i think that the image of the dnc among progressives actually got worse since he became the dnc chairman i mean just a couple of weeks before brazil's bombshell he purged progressives and now you know pundits in the mainstream media they want to sweep that under the rug but you can't do that we've got to call out these politicians we've got to call out the leader of the democratic party and make sure that what happened in 2016 never happens again so look Take what you will away from this clip. I just wanted you to be able to decide. You know, I, I want you to know that this level of scrutiny on Tom Perez is really important. But at the same time, you know, this is a very biased host that um, it's easy to disagree with her. So, you know, there you have it. It was a great entertaining interview overall, but we do need to be cognizant of the pundit's bias. And we also need to realize that Tom Perez is still bullshitting everyone. 
if you've watched The Humanist Report before, particularly my segments about Joanne Reed, you'll know that I've called her a propagandist. And this is because every single time we learn more information about just how corrupt the DNC and Democratic Party establishment is, she will always come to their defense, no matter what, no matter how much evidence we have. So, for example, last week, after learning about the bombshell that Brazil dropped on us about how Hillary Clinton was able to take control of the DNC, Joy Reid told us that in spite of this revelation, the DNC did not rig the election or the primary specifically. She said that it was absurd to even suggest that that was the case. There have been people who support Bernie Sanders who are really uh, elated with this information and some even using it to push the really absurd idea that Hillary Clinton rigged the primaries. You can't rig 50 plus primaries. There's no way to do it. States hold primaries. The DNC doesn't dictate you go in there and force you to vote for Hillary Clinton. More people vote for Hillary Clinton. Even though there's a mountain of evidence, Joy Reid is still maintaining that the DNC did nothing wrong. Hillary Clinton's campaign did nothing wrong and that Bernie Sanders supporters are wrong and that they're just against Hillary Clinton because they are sexist Bernie bros. Now, this week on her show, Joy Reid actually brought Donna Brazil on to talk about her book. And I wanted to play this clip for you, even though I feel like I've already beat this dead horse that is the Donna Brazil book. But I wanted to play this clip for you because in this clip, it was so evident that Joy Reid tried to shamelessly spin the situation and do propaganda on behalf of the Democratic Party establishment that I think this could serve as the quintessential example of propaganda in American media. So we'll start with the beginning of the interview. There's a couple of different clips that I want to show you. But first of all, she does call out Donna Brazil for contradicting herself because on one hand, she does say that the primary was rigged. But on another hand, she says it wasn't rigged. And that's true. Joy Reid is correct here. So let's start with that first portion of this interview. So I want to switch to this question that um, obviously this is the opening gambit for the book, uh, the, the piece in Politico that talked about whether or not uh, you and whether or not Bernie Sanders thought that the campaign was rigged. You write in multiple places in the book that you, in fact, believed it was not. There are several pages in the book in which you say that having looked at the election, uh, you did not find any evidence uh, that it was rigged, that there was no rigging. So, But there have been excerpts headlines. of your book that were posted and headlines that, that suggest that you do, that you do believe that the, uh, the, the you know, primaries were rigged. Uh, uh, so once and for all, yeah. are, were, in your view, were the primaries rigged against Bernie Sanders? I, I said in my book, no. I found no evidence that the process was rigged. Mm -hmm. However, what I did find disturbed me. I said it was not illegal because it's not illegal to set up joint fundraising agreements. Uh, but it was unethical, in my judgment, to have a process by which in exchange for bailing the Democratic Party out because we were broke. I think Secretary Clinton said that earlier this year. We were broke. But you know what? The Democratic Party should not be under the control of any candidate until that nomination process is over. So at this point, there's nothing too concerning about that clip. I mean, she extrapolates portions of Donna Brazil's book out, the one specifically that lend credence to her claim that the primary was not rigged. But in this next clip, she takes it a step further and she really tries to downplay the significance of this joint fundraising agreement. The issue is this joint fundraising agreement that yes. Hillary Clinton signed in 2015 that essentially gave her ultimately control of the party, but only if she became the nominee. And didn't all three Democratic candidates sign JFA? So if she had a JFA that would kick in, should she be the nominee? And Bernie had one too, and O'Malley had one too, then how 
how was that even unfair to Bernie Sanders? Well, first of all, it was unfair to have a memorandum of understanding. This was an addendum to the joint fundraising agreement. This this addendum to the joint fundraising agreement gave them the control over three departments. And because of those, and I found no evidence, even with those three departments, research, uh, tech, uh, comms, and fundraising in, in, in a certain degree. I found no evidence that they played any role whatsoever in the primary process. But again, having your research department, I mean, you know, starting in, in, you know, late fall of 2015, I know they were focused on Republicans. I found no evidence that they were focused on Bernie Sanders. The evidence I did find, uh, I brought it to light. Uh, include my own DNC email. So at this point, you can really tell that Donna Brazil is trying to help Joy Reid out because she knows that Joy Reid is a propagandist for the Democratic Party. And uh, she's trying to downplay what she found. She said she might have taken control of three different DNC departments, Hillary Clinton, that is, but it still wasn't rigged. The problem is that Joy Reid still wasn't getting what she was trying to get out of Donna Brazil. She wanted Donna Brazil to downplay the significance of this joint fundraising agreement and say, basically, you know, all the campaigns, Martin O'Malley's campaign, Bernie Sanders' campaign, they were all offered this same agreement. But unfortunately for Joanne Reed, Donna Brazil wouldn't budge and wasn't giving her what she wanted. The question is, if there was a joint fundraising agreement that Hillary Clinton signed and Martin O'Malley had one and Bernie Sanders had one, how can it be uh, unethical even if they all had the same access to the same thing, because it was a it was an addendum to the joint fundraising joint fundraising agreement that went into effect before the primary was over and and lasted until the election was over. And you can you can send and, that and co it, a copy of that to absolutely me. because. If you impede the ability of the chair of a national political party, in my judgment, of doing her job in order to win elections up and down the ballot, your money should not determine or dictate where the chair of the party determine and dictate where the money is needed. Come on, Donna. I mean, didn't all of the candidates have the same opportunity to sign this joint fundraising agreement that allowed them to take control of the DNC? Say yes. I mean, that doesn't even make sense if you think about this. If all candidates had the opportunity to take control of these three departments within the DNC, then how would any one candidate be able to control these departments if all three of them were in control of all three of these departments? That doesn't even make sense. But yet, Joy Reid is trying to insinuate that, yeah, they all had the same opportunity to take full control of the DNC like Hillary Clinton. That doesn't even make sense, Joy. So obviously, since that doesn't make sense, Donna Brazil was not giving Joy Ann Reid what she wanted. So since Donna Brazil was clearly laying out how she thought this agreement was in fact unethical and unusual and not like other joint fundraising agreements, specifically the one that Bernie Sanders signed with the DNC and Joanne Reed couldn't get her to back down from that claim, what Joanne Reed did next was just, it was masterful honestly. She then tried to convince Donna Brazil to shift who the victim was. So the real victim wasn't Bernie Sanders. It was actually you. So since Brooklyn took control of the DNC and that prevented you from doing your job, then the primary wasn't rigged against Bernie Sanders. Now, Donna, was it? Maybe the primary was rigged against you. So watch this clip. I mean, this is top tier propaganda here. Joanne Reed is a master. You go through your book. What I, what the sense that I get of it um, is that you didn't feel that the primary was rigged against Bernie Sanders. You felt that Brooklyn, that the Clinton campaign essentially rigged the game against 
you against the chair of the DNC. I what my argument in the book on this on this issue of the resource is that it, it impeded our ability to do our job as the as the party. The party job is not just to elect uh, the president, which we supported 100 percent, but also Democrats up and down the ballot. Donnie Fowler Jr., one of my staffers, said they need 150,000 more in Michigan. I said, I don't have it. Ed Rendell said he needed 300,000 in Pennsylvania. I didn't have it. I had to go out and raise it. And then G.K. Butterfield said there's some, something wrong in North Carolina. I need more resources. My job as chair, I heard from everybody in battleground states, non-battleground states. And when the chair of the party has to go up to Brooklyn to get money, and then to get them to approve even my press releases, this MOU, which I did not blow up because I felt that you know, Hillary Clinton didn't deserve this. This was an agreement between the DNC staff, who, by the way, wasn't no longer on staff, and Robbie Mook, who was. And I honored and respected Robbie Mook by not destroying that agreement. It sounds like what you're saying is that Robbie Mook, the chair, that you blame Robbie Mook, the Clinton campaign manager, and Debbie Wasserman Schultz for making an agreement that tied your hands. Is that would that be a fair? I believe that they. I think in the future we should never have a separate agreement. If I raise my own money, no one should tell me how to spend it because I'm raising on behalf of the Democratic National Committee. That is some expert level spin there. I mean. Lover or hater, you've got to hand it to Joy Reid because she knows exactly what she's doing. You know, when Donna Brazile wouldn't admit that she wasn't a victim or that she was a victim, Joy Ann Reid then tried to throw everyone else under the bus to save face for Hillary Clinton. She then threw Robbie Mook under the bus and said, well, he was the one responsible. And she even surprisingly threw Debbie Wasserman Schultz under the bus. I mean, she basically made sure that no matter what, culpability was shifted away from the DNC and Hillary Clinton and onto other people who could take the fall and any scapegoat, basically. So, I mean, it's very obvious what Joanne Reed is doing. She is trying to rewrite history in order to shift all culpability away from the DNC and onto specific individuals. So that way you still have trust in the DNC and continue to give money to the DNC. But I mean, this is an organization that is rotten to the core. Corruption in the DNC is systemic. But that doesn't matter because the DNC and Hillary Clinton, according to Joanne Reed, can never be wrong about anything ever. I mean, Joy Reid is incapable of exercising impartiality, even to the smallest extent. And she will say and do anything, even if it makes her look foolish, to cover up for a corrupt organization and a narcissistic public official who decided to rig a primary so that way she could become the nominee of her party. I mean, Joy Reid is really hurting her own legitimacy and credibility by performing mental gymnastics that are obvious, you know, in real time, and trying to bend over backwards to do propaganda for the DNC and Hillary Clinton's campaign. And really, this is one of the more brazen examples of Joy Reid doing propaganda on behalf of the DNC. Well, Joy, look, this is something that is undeniable. Now, if you continue to say that the primary wasn't rigged, you're not actually convincing anyone of that. You're just making yourself look foolish because we have so much evidence now to say that the primary was not rigged in favor of Hillary Clinton. You're just a lunatic. But we all know that Joy knows the truth. Joy knows that the primary was rigged. Joy Ann Reed saw the evidence. I know she had to go through it so that way she could figure out a way to spin it. But she's making herself look foolish here. So, I mean, the way that we, we saw her really continue to move the goalpost here was just 
This is exactly what propaganda is all about. I mean, if the evidence is too overwhelming, then you change the narrative. You make it so that way Donna Brazil is the victim. And if the evidence is still too overwhelming, which it was in this case, then you say that someone from Hillary Clinton's campaign was really the one who was responsible for this unethical joint fundraising agreement. So, I mean, this is top-tier propaganda, as I stated. You are not going to find a more brazen example of propaganda. I mean, she would make Fox News proud because this is propaganda that you would see on state-run media outlets in authoritarian regimes. So, Joy Reid, I mean, she has sold out <laughs> more so than anyone else in the mainstream media after this clip. I'm, I'm convinced of it, which is sad because she's intelligent and she really could be using her platform to do good. But instead, she chooses to um, provide cover to corrupt public officials and corrupt organizations. It, it's just sad. Former interim DNC chair Donna Brazil is still making the rounds to promote her new book, Hacks. And this last weekend, she was on Real Time with Bill Maher. And as you already could have guessed, um, Bill Maher said a lot of really stupid things that were incredibly out of touch and downright offensive to democracy. So uh, we'll go ahead and hear what he had to say. And then when we come back, we'll talk about it. I feel like we spent all of 2017... Still stuck in 2016. I agree. Can we put the Bernie-Hillary thing aside, that great divide? I mean, that's what all the controversy was with your book, you know, that the elections were, the primaries were rigged. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter, first of all, now. It's over. And also the policy differences between the Bernie folks and the Hillary folks were really small to begin with. That's another thing that could hold us back. Well, you know, Bill, after a presidential uh, campaign, we should assess what happened. The Republicans did an autopsy report. I assume that the Clinton campaign would do their form of uh, autopsy. But as chair of the Democratic Party, I felt a responsibility to tell my story. I was chair. Yeah. I became chair because the party was hacked. You the should. country was hacked. Right. And so this notion that somehow or another I cannot tell my story, the story of the Democratic National Committee in a year that Donald Trump won by less than 100,000 votes. I, the party needs to examine that. And yes. then I believe we can heal. You cannot heal an open wound by just dressing it, you know, dressing it. You have to analyze it, talk about it, all of it, and then I think we can move forward. He, he continues to surprise me with how out of touch he is. And if you would have told me in 2015 when I first started The Humanist Report that in an interview between Donna Brazil and Bill Maher that Donna Brazil would be the one that's more correct than Bill Maher, I would have told you that you were crazy. But, I mean, that's exactly what happened here. Donna Brazil was more correct, and she stated that, you know, you can't just move on from something without addressing it. How can you restore trust in the DNC if you don't address how they lost that trust to begin with? So, first of all, he says, can we put the Bernie and Hillary thing aside? We would all love to put the Bernie and Hillary thing aside, Bill. The problem is that Bernie Sanders supporters and progressives, generally speaking, are still shunned from the party. The reforms needed to put that Bernie and Hillary thing aside have not been carried out yet. So we still have a lot of states with closed primaries. We still have superdelegates. These are things that disproportionately hurt independents who are most likely to vote for Bernie Sanders or support the more progressive left-leaning candidate. So until the Democratic Party actually stops turning away voters, then we still have to talk about this. But in addition to that, the Democratic Party and the DNC, they're still actively 
trying to harm progressives. Tom Perez, just a couple of weeks ago, even though we got sidetracked from the Donna Brazil bombshell, well, Tom Perez just purged progressives from the DNC, and he did this under the guise of increasing diversity within the DNC, while not explaining to us why he purged the first transgender woman that served on the DNC. He didn't explain to us why James Zogby was fired, the only Arab American serving in the DNC. So, of course, he did this because he didn't want anybody serving in the DNC who wasn't loyal to him or the establishment. So now, moving on, he also said that when it comes to the primary being rigged, quote, it doesn't matter now. The rigging of the primary doesn't matter now. That's over. It's done. I don't understand. For someone who claims to care about democracy because he rails against how Russia used memes to sway the election against Hillary Clinton all the time, how can you say that it doesn't matter now when democracy was undermined? That is insane. And there's a couple of reasons why it still matters. First of all, the DNC, in rigging the primary against Bernie Sanders, and specifically for Hillary Clinton and against all of her opponents, the DNC lost trust of their core base. And if you actually do want them to defeat Republicans, Bill, like you constantly say you do, then voters need assurance that this will never happen again. Now, another reason why it matters is because if the primary wasn't rigged, if the race was fair. Bernie Sanders might have actually beaten Hillary Clinton. And do you want to know who would be president right now if he actually was able to defeat Hillary, Bill? It would not be Donald Trump. It would be Bernie Sanders. And you claim to hate Donald Trump so much. We all do. Donald Trump is a monster. The reason why we have Donald Trump is because the DNC decided that they would rather lose with Hillary Clinton than win with Bernie Sanders. So how can you just say that it doesn't matter now when all the polls showed that Bernie Sanders would have beat Donald Trump when you knew that rigging a primary would not bode well for Hillary Clinton in a general election? How can you say it doesn't matter? I will give him partial credit because he's at least not denying the reality. I mean, for a lot of pundits like Joanne Reed, we can't even get them to admit that the primary was rigged. So it does seem as though Bill Maher is at least acknowledging the fact that the primary was rigged. He's just saying, well, it doesn't really matter. It does matter, Bill. Democracy in this country matters. And if you think that these voter ID laws that Republicans continue to codify into law in red states to disenfranchise people of color, if you think that Russia trying to influence the 2016 election matters, then why wouldn't the primary matter? Primaries are important because you need a strong primary candidate to emerge out of the primary in order to defeat Republicans. That matters. And if we don't learn this going forward, Bill, then we're never going to get out of this nightmare that is the Donald Trump presidency and a Republican is going to win again in 2024, which which is unimaginable at this point. But the DNC has lost its credibility so much that I don't know if they can ever be electorally viable without addressing any of these issues. Now, the last thing he says here is that the policy differences between Bernie folks and the Hillary folks were really small to begin with. 
No, they were really huge, hence why there was this divide. Hillary Clinton voted for the Iraq War. She voted for the Patriot Act. She pushed for fracking around the world. She didn't support Medicare for All or a $15 minimum wage or tuition-free public colleges and universities. She wanted a Syrian no-fly zone. She has a history of supporting the TPP. She voted to deregulate the big banks that donated to her campaign as a senator. She took money from private prisons. She was effectively a Republican with a D in front of her name. So how can you say with the straight face that those policy differences were insignificant. Those policy differences were huge. What a lot of Hillary Clinton loyalists and Democratic Party establishment loyalists don't want to acknowledge is that Hillary Clinton is just too conservative to run in the so-called liberal party. Now, this isn't just Hillary Clinton. Of course, she is one of the more conservative members of the Democratic Party, but there's people to her right like Joe Manchin and Tim Kaine. But the whole party has shifted to the right. The Overton window in this country is so far to the right that we just have two conservative parties, one moderate conservative party, Democrats, and one right-wing extremist party, Republicans. So liberal voters in this election cycle, they took a stand because they had an option to vote for someone who was actually a real liberal who didn't seem to be lying to us like Barack Obama did. Because we could look at Bernie Sanders' donations, and we didn't do that for Barack Obama. And we saw that Bernie wasn't taking any money from Wall Street, or the private prison industry, or defense contractors. So this divide is something that you can't just brush aside. And Bill Maher, he's got to acknowledge that. But the problem is that these differences... They don't matter. You know, the the Bernie-Hillary differences, they don't matter to him because he's an elite. He's an oligarch. He has millions upon millions of dollars in his bank account. So, of course, to him, those differences don't matter much. But to us, you know, the difference between a $12 and a $15 minimum wage is huge. I can't even begin to express just how life-changing $15 would be in comparison with $12 an hour if you are just an ordinary American. So, I mean, I've said it once, I'll say it again. If Bill Maher really wants to get to the bottom of this divide and figure out how the Democratic Party can become electorally viable again, he's got to talk with actual progressives. Invite Kyle Kalinske on the show. Invite Jenk Uger on the show. You can't just keep claiming that you care about the issues if you only talk to people in your elitist bubble that just reinforce all of your views. So if we could draw out any conclusions from Donna Brazil's book about the DNC and Hillary Clinton's takeover of it, I think that it should be one that yes, now we have undeniable proof, not that we didn't already, but we have undeniable evidence that the primary was rigged. And two, the DNC has to reform. It is essential. And Bernie Sanders knows this, and he actually penned an op-ed in Politico to explain specifically how they can reform and begin to rebuild the trust they lost in 2016. So he writes, victories in Virginia, New Jersey, Washington, Maine, and other states around the country on Tuesday are an important first step in pushing back against Trump's radical agenda. It was especially gratifying to see thousands of working people and young people jump into the political process, volunteering, knocking on doors, and winning elections to state legislatures, city councils, and school boards. But the longer-term trend for the Democratic Party is worrisome. Donna Brazil's recent book makes it abundantly clear how important it is to bring fundamental reforms to the Democratic Party. The party cannot remain an institution largely dominated by the wealthy and inside-the-beltway consultants. It must open its doors and welcome into its ranks millions of working people and young people who desperately want to be involved in determining the future of our nation. 
Last year, Secretary Hillary Clinton and I agreed upon the need for a unity reform commission to move the party in a new and more democratic direction. In a few weeks, this group will have its final meeting in Washington, D.C., and will decide if we are going to move forward in an inclusive way or continue with the current failed approach. What are some of the reforms that are desperately needed? First, it is absurd that the Democratic Party now gives over 700 superdelegates, almost one-third the number a presidential candidate needs to win the nomination, the power to control the nominating process and ignore the will of voters. Second, in contrast to Republicans, Democrats believe in making voting easier, not harder. We believe in universal and same-day voter registration and ending antiquated, arbitrary, and discriminatory voter registration laws. These same principles must apply to our primaries. Our job must be to reach out to independents and to young people and bring them into the Democratic Party process. Independent voters are critical to general election victories. Locking them out of primaries is a pathway to failure. In that regard, it is absurd that New Yorkers must change their party registration six months before the Democratic primary in order to participate. Other states have similar, if not as onerous, provisions. Third, in states that use caucuses, we must make it easier for working people and students to participate. While there is much to be said for bringing people together face-to-face -to, -face to discuss why they support the candidate of their choice, not everybody is able to participate because of work, childcare, or other obligations. A process must be developed that gives everyone the right to cast a vote even if they are not physically able to attend a caucus. Finally, if we are able to succeed, we must fully appreciate Brazil's revelations and understand the need for far more transparency transparency in the financial and policy workings of the Democratic Party. Hundreds of millions of dollars flow in and out of the Democratic National Committee with little to no accountability. That simply is not acceptable. At a time when we have a Republican president and Republican party whose leadership and agenda are strongly opposed by the American people, now is the time for real change. It is critical that we come together and reform the Democratic Party. When we do that, we will win local, state, and national elections and transform our country. I agree with everything that he said here. And the fact that he even has to say that we still need to do these things, the fact that the DNC didn't immediately act to do these things after Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump is mind-boggling to me. And the problem is that all of these reforms that he's calling on, most likely they won't be adopted. And look, I hope that I'm proven wrong. I want to come out and say that I was wrong about this. But when you look at the Unity Reform Commission, Bernie Sanders was able to appoint seven representatives. Hillary Clinton got nine and Tom Perez gets three. So if the Sanders representatives say we want to abolish superdelegates, well, the Clinton and Tom Perez appointees can just say, no, we vote it down and then it won't be adopted. And they could do this for any and every type of reform that's being put forward. So how can we implement these processes if the Unity Reform Commission, the commission that is designed or that should be designed anyways to bring both warring wings of the party together is lopsided and favors Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders? How can we how can we even get these reforms if the process to reform the party is rigged? The answer is you probably can't. And when Bernie Sanders talks about caucuses, I think this is a really important discussion because I actually, in 2016, I got a lot of pushback from progressives when I said that we need to abolish caucuses and just have normal primaries because even though these do tend to benefit the more grassroots-oriented candidates like Bernie Sanders, and it did help Bernie Sanders, uh, I still think that they're wrong because I have someone in my family, my dad, he votes, but he's in a wheelchair. For him to 
have to leave his house for multiple hours and participate in a caucus, this would be really difficult. It would be so taxing on him. He He's a dialysis patient. So if the caucus was held on a day where he had to do dialysis, he would be wiped out, completely exhausted. It would be basically impossible. Caucuses are, they're just unfair. They make it really difficult for people to participate. And even if that hurts Bernie Sanders, or I don't think it necessarily hurts him, but it certainly doesn't help him. I think we need to do the thing that strengthens democracy because I care about democracy. Small d democracy is really important. So I'm consistent here. We have to do everything to increase democracy in this country. We need universal registration. We need to abolish superdelegates. We need open primaries in all 50 states. We need to make sure that the Democratic Party doesn't participate in voter suppression in the same way that Republicans do, because they are quick to call out voter ID laws, but when it comes to their own closed primaries, which is in fact a form of suppression because it does stop independents from voting, that's a problem. They're hypocrites. So all of these reforms that Bernie Sanders is recommending, they're crucial, but we'll wait and see if they actually do get implemented and uh, codified. But at this point, I'm pretty skeptical, but I, I hope that I'm proven wrong, probably won't be the case. I think the only way we can get true reform is if Bernie Sanders runs to be the president in the Democratic Party again, and he wins the nomination. Then he can take control of the DNC in the way that Hillary Clinton was supposed to be able to control more of the DNC after she actually won the nomination. So then he can make these hopefully sweeping changes that will have a lasting impact on democracy in this country. But, you know, we're going to have to wait and see because... At this point, we have no reason to give the DNC the benefit of the doubt, and Tom Perez has shown us that he doesn't just not care about progressives, he actually has contempt for us, hence why he purged progressives from the DNC. So, we'll see, but these are reforms that are absolutely crucial, and again, the fact that Bernie has to even come out and call for these reforms that should have been implemented on the day after Hillary Clinton lost, it's absurd to me. Well, that's all I got for you guys. I want to thank you all so much for tuning in if you've made it this far on the episode. And as usual, I've got to send a huge shout out to all of our Patreon patrons and PayPal contributors because you guys are crucial to this show's survival. But you don't just help us to survive, you help us to thrive. So thank you all so much for tuning in. There was a lot of other stories I really, really wanted to get to. So I'll just do a quick mention here. Uh, the Saudi blockade of supplies flowing into Yemen, it is causing famine across the country and it is devastating and heartbreaking so please look into that if you have time and another story that i wanted to talk about was how a transgender individual who ran for a seat in the virginia house of delegates actually beat someone who was an anti-trans bigot who was sponsoring anti-trans bathroom bills it, it was just it was amazing. <laughs> it's the best karma ever. So look, there's a lot that happened this week. Um, we got the story about how WikiLeaks spoke with um, Donald Trump Jr. and was trying to get favors from the Trump administration, which I don't necessarily, that it does bother me a little bit. But what I do care about is the fact that WikiLeaks released emails that were actual emails from the DNC and John Podesta. Would I like them to be more impartial? Yes. But all I care about is that the DNC and John Podesta's emails were real, and they were. And so WikiLeaks is still important. They shed light on the rigged primary process in 2016, which I think is very important. So these are all really important stories that I hope you will look into more. Um, but 
That's it for the show. I will see you all next week. Take care.